Our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Well, how can I preach after that choir? <laughs> Actually, how can I not preach after that choir? Uh, let's pray and we'll walk through this passage. Father, we thank you for your word, for this joyous, happy message that Isaiah gives to us. And we pray that we would inhabit it, that it would be upon our heads and in our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, so you may know that I actually have a lot to be happy about. Things that I have just discovered uh, on Thursday in particular. On Thursday, my dear Liz found out from UCLA uh, that she is a match to be a kidney donor when the time comes. So from this point forward, I'd better do the dishes on time. <laughs> and right around that time, we found out that our fourth grandchild, Rosaria, Rosalia <laughs> Joy, I gotta keep doing that, Rosalia Joy, uh, was born into our family. And how apropos that her middle name is Joy. Thank you, Rosie, for your great timing <laughs> for this message in Isaiah 35. And I have to mention it, the Rams had a historical comeback for the ages. So Thursday night I was like, I'm in the thrill <laughs> of this passage. The philosopher Blaise Pascal observed that all men seek happiness. This is without exception. And this statement, friends, seems especially true around Christmas, doesn't it? As joy and cheer are broadcasted on our street signs and our decorations and certainly in the songs, both secular and sacred. Yet through the prophet Isaiah, God is painting here a picture for you and me that runs deeper 
and lasts longer than holiday cheer. It is more than the happiness that I shared with you that comes from happenings. And those happenings are are things that we celebrate and that bring us mirth and merriment, but this is so much more. It portrays God's people returning from their scattered places. It envisions not only what was happening in the 700s BC, but also later prophetically when God would release his people through Cyrus of Persia and bring them out of Babylon, bringing them home. You see, in captivity, they were hijacked by grief, while in liberation, in emancipation, they were overcome with joy. You see, what we find here is that the scorching wasteland is is transformed into a verdant paradise. It explodes with color. And so, in all, all of our pursuits of happiness, what we find so often here in this passage is that we must live with a celebratory joy, defiant joy it's been called. You see, Isaiah is envisioning God breaking into our brokenness. And so we're going to look at this incredibly rich passage with two basic themes today. The first is simply overtaken by sorrow. Uh, It's implied in the passage. It's in the passage before it, chapter 34. But what we're going to really focus on is being overcome with joy. You see, joy accompanies salvation like a lively tune goes with cheerful lyrics. And so first, overcome with sorrow. Isaiah portrays the people of God, Israel, overtaken by the sorrow of sin. Now, not only their own sin, but the sin of their oppressors, the Assyrians and later the Babylonians. But that was mirroring what was happening in their own lives. You see, instead of being a light to the nations, God's people in many ways were simply blending into the darkness, the cultural darkness that surrounded them. And and we do this too, don't we? In light of this passage, we need to think of it this way. When we look to people and things and experiences and we pursue those things for our ultimate happiness, uh, wanting out of them what only our Creator can give to us, when we do that, then this world, in a sense, becomes a wasteland of disappointment. See, our families, our health, our jobs, these things are gifts, but they cannot give to us the ultimate happiness that Isaiah is talking about here. And so think about it. What are you looking to to provide you happiness? Is it the new toy that will come in Christmas? And I'm actually speaking to you adults. (laughs) We all look forward to the new toys, don't we? But it has to be more than that. You see, these folks, and I've said this before over the years, that they had exiled God from their lives, and therefore, as consequence, as God told them, for example, in the book of Deuteronomy, that meant that they would be exiled from their land. And so sin leads to this kind of 
dislocation, quite literally. And what we find throughout the Bible is that there is this interconnectedness between the fall of humanity and the world that is fractured. Romans 8.20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility. And that is an occurrence in the fall of humanity. You see, this, this gorgeous, beautiful world also hurts us. I love the way one pastor put it. He said, we broke the world, and then the world breaks us. This came home to me as I was thinking about how we all in some ways taste brokenness, don't we? Even in this joyous season, perhaps especially in it. There's a young coach at our gym, and and she exudes enthusiasm and, and positivity. And in many ways, she is the face of the franchise. Uh, She's posted pictures over the years of of her husband with affectionate comments. So just two weeks ago, I was surprised when she said, you know, my last class is coming up. And so I approached her and said, oh, you know, why are you leaving? Where are you going? And she looked at me and she said, I got a divorce this summer. And so I'm moving to Boise to start over. And tears were were breaking through her strong exterior. And and we hurt for her. We're we're praying for her. And we'll look her up when we're in Boise. You see, this life is so often what British literary uh, critic Frank Kermode said about it. He said, it seems that there is a sort of calamity built into the texture of life. And so Isaiah 35 is saying to us that we are, in a sense, alienated from home. We are homesick. These people are longing to get home. The scattered people of God are are looking forward to coming back to the promised land. And so often I think we experience this at Christmas time. I mean, Liz and I love decorating our houses, our house, and I know that um, you do as well. And, and sometimes what we're doing in that is we're, we're trying to recreate Christmas nostalgia. We are longing for holidays past, and, and we are happy uh, and love to visit with our kids, and, but it's not the same, right? Uh, kids grow up and, and move away, and so when we decorate our homes, I think what's happening is we're, we're feeling some of that homesickness. And and Christmas can accentuate the way things were for us. As some of you look back over the years and and you long for those days. Or perhaps you look back and you think about the Christmas that never really was. You know, I've spoken with some of you who have grief mixed in with holiday cheer during this time of year. Perhaps it's a relationship that you had hoped for that didn't work out or or the loss of a loved one that you particularly missed in December. And we hear this kind of balance or combination, right, of, of mirth and melancholy in the Christmas songs of the season. Have yourself a merry little Christmas if the fates allow. Until then, we will have to muddle through somehow. 
And, you know, one North American survey said recently that 45% of respondents actually dreaded the festive season because there's a kind of, again, pressure to be happy when not everyone is. Or a kind of um, longing, again, for what people have lost. And so, surveying this situation, one philosopher called the human situation transcendental, transcendental homelessness. In all of our challenges and struggles, in all of our brokenness, we are longing for home. He went on to say that philosophy as a discipline is really homesickness, the desire to be everywhere at home. And so we see that in Isaiah 35, and the chapter leading into it is the people are longing to get back to a place and to the person of God and their relationship with him. And so we see here a bit what it means to be overtaken by sorrow, but also the core of this passage is to be overcome with joy. You see, what we find in chapter 35, first, is a transformed place. The wasteland of Assyria and later Babylon, but, but ultimately Israel, it is saying, pictures the barrenness of God's people. But Isaiah 35 then portrays the reversal of the curse. Let's look at verse 1 again. Even the wilderness will rejoice in those days. And the desert will blossom with flowers as the parched ground becomes a pool and springs satisfy the thirsty land. You see, this is saying when God approaches, when God brings his people back to him, back home, waters are going to break forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert, the burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground will give forth as springs of water. What is this talking about? It is, it is saying that a drab, dry place will become paradise. As the ground itself welcomes God's people and it explodes, it explodes with colorful gladness. And so again, this is the, the reversal of the curse that, that occurred in Genesis when humanity was uh, banished from paradise. And this is saying that God will turn the wasteland into a verdant, beautiful place. And what we find in this passage is that creation itself celebrates the redemption and the return of God's people. Again, verse 2 says, It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with singing and joy. The crocus there will um, sprout and the glory of Lebanon and the majesty of Carmel and Sharon will be there. So this is saying that it's not going to simply explode with, with purple and, and blue and yellow and, and orange wildflowers. It is saying that the desert will become actually like Lebanon, where cedars grew towering. So in other words, it's a place of life. I love how one person said, what we find in this passage is that Death Valley turns into Napa Valley. <laughs> and that's the promise of the Lord's return, bringing his people back into this basically new Eden, a renewed creation. 
And again, creation celebrates God's people's return. 1 Chronicles 16, 34 says, Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Celebrating the return of God's people to him. Uh, yesterday, I took a ride up to Cook's Corner on our e-bike. Um, I used to call it Liz's, and she finally said, why don't you just call it our bike that <laughs> I get to share? And a lot of you know, if you were out yesterday, there were you know, billowing clouds, threatening wonderful clouds, a crystal blue sky, and then last night, we had just a gorgeous sunset. It was stunning. And... Liz got home and started playing the hymn as she was getting ready for Christmas for the beauty of the earth. And I thought that, man, that is a, a brief picture of God unwinding what sin has, un, has unwound. You see, when we look out and we see the beauty of creation, we see pictures of what Isaiah is talking about. The ultimate restoration of not just our souls, but of all things. And so Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, verses 19 and 20, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay. And so Isaiah pictures a transformed place, but also a transformed people. It says that though your unholiness would have kept you and me in eternal exile away from God, in that barren wasteland, God instead has made a superhighway to us and for us and of course, this is not simply the people returning from Babylon on a long trek. It is ultimately our going to God in Jesus Christ. You see, God has come to purify us in Him. And in Christ's first advent, He healed our relationship with God, but in His second advent, He will heal not only the ground, but our bodies themselves. Look at verse 5. The eyes of the blind shall be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then, this is what we will be like, then the, the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. So this is one vivid imagery after another signaling physical healing. Our broken relationships heal, but also our broken bodies. Now, we get to glimpse this again in little ways. Uh, one of my brothers had been in a wheelchair for the last few years with just uh, excruciating pain. Um, and he's a, a strong guy. I, uh, and, and, and so it, it was really tough. And it took away his ability to walk. Um, but not too long ago, just a few months ago, he had double hip replacement um, here in Orange County. And he had it at the same time, which is kind of a rare thing. And with therapy and that wonderful surgical process, he has been getting up walking 
And the first uh, video of him walking outside his house uh, with his adult son yelling in the background saying, that's my dad. Uh, all of the techs in our extended family had many exclamation points, and not just from Liz. <laughs> a miracle. Uh, what a beautiful sight. How awesome. How awesome. And as I've been thinking about that, and I know some of you have had this kind of repair as well, um, science works wonders, but not the kind of wonder that Jesus will bring us. Because, yeah, amen. <laughs> See, when I say things break, it's buildings and things falling down. Um, but the kind of healing that Jesus brings isn't a temporary prop up. And so it's a wonder that will last forever. Now notice how this comes to us. It's not simply a rosy kind of thing. Isaiah says that your God will come with vengeance. With rank recompense, he will come and save you. And so this picture is God as the healer, but also coming as the judge, as the mighty warrior who must vanquish not, not only what oppresses us on the outside, but what oppresses us on the inside. He had to deal with our sin, and he has in Christ. You see, we get to walk this joyful highway because Christ stumbled on the road that was set before him for the joy that was set before him. And so the Bible says, Jesus says, that he is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the superhighway of Isaiah. The road back into God's kingdom of pleasure and eternal happiness. And so friends, when we realize what we have been saved from, as I think about my greatest need is, is not someday to have a new kidney, but rather the new heart that I have received by the Spirit of God in Christ that is far, far more important. As I think about this, as we think about our life in Christ, then joy begins to bloom in our hearts. I want you to notice that verse 10 says, we obtain joy, but there's actually a better translation for that. It's really the title of the sermon. It is that gladness and joy will overtake us. We will be overwhelmed by the joy of Christ. You see, when God's grace, when God's joy comes, ultimately in Christ's return, this is saying that sorrow will head for the hills and despair will flee town. And that's not just a future promise. It means that we can wear that now. I love the picture that joy and gladness are a crown on our heads. Now this past week, we've had some cooler afternoons and I've been taking bike rides around sunset. Now, when you're going about 30 miles an hour downhill, it can get a little cold. Um, so I've been wearing a wool cap underneath my helmet. <laughs> and Liz said, oh, that's quite a look. <laughs> and I looked in the rearview mirror of her car as I left. I thought, oh, my. 
I'm gonna, I might get some honking here, but I thought about with this absurd thing up on my head, uh, what a wonderful picture Isaiah gives us. We are going to wear the joy and gladness of Christ as a crown, and it is the helmet that guards us. And so, dear friends, the message of Isaiah for us now is that we must let God's redeeming grace in Christ overwhelm us today. We're going to sing, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let us receive our King. He's come to make His blessings known far as the curse is found. And that goes to the depths of the dry ground and also into our hearts. And so we live with defiant joy, even as we face not only wonderful happenings, but difficult ones. You know, I have some, some great temporal news. I've had it this week, but I also, interestingly, have some new possible challenges on the horizon that are facing me. And so as we look at these things, we have to say that we must live with defiant joy. We have to. You see, God is for you in Christ, and so who can be against you? God is for you, therefore you can be against despair. And I want us to see as we wrap up here the link between fear and anxiety that can sap our joy. You see, fear makes Jerusalem's hands grow weak, and so Isaiah says, Strengthen your hands as you walk along the way. Be encouraged. C.S. Lewis famously said, no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear, and that's true. But this passage invites us to reframe our problems, to, to focus on the promise of Isaiah that has come true in Jesus, but will be ultimately fulfilled and will fully flower when Christ returns. And when he does that, friends, he is going to mend everything that's broken. You see, what we're picturing here is creation waiting on its tiptoes for the redemption, as Romans 8 says, the full redemption of the, of the sons and daughters of God. And so I have this wonderful picture in my mind, another one from our family this week. My, my other granddaughters, um, Amelia and Lucy Jane, three-year-old and one-year-old, um, they have been waiting for the arrival of a new puppy. Now, she's a mix and she's a pretty big dog. They wanted a, a guardian, but also, you know, a, a, a buddy. <laughs> Um, and so there is a picture of, of my son Garrett bringing this dog home to them for the first time. Now, they named her Daphne, a little Frasier reference there. Um, and there's a picture of Lucy Jane and Amelia sitting on a step, looking at the front door, and you should see them. The, the one-year-old Lucy has got her hands clenched and she's just waiting with anticipation, and then Amelia's kind of looking at the door, but also the camera like, you gotta be kidding me. I mean, they're just waiting. They are joy personified, and you know Grandpa's gonna get Daphne and Lucy and Rosie mixed up. It's just gonna happen. <laughs> it's gonna happen. 
But I love that picture of the children. (laughs) And that's what we're all to be. That's what we are to show. It's as though, friends, today we are sitting on the step with excitement and anticipation. And we have wonderful things happening in the coming weeks, hopefully, but that's not where our happiness is ultimately found. Isaiah 35 implants the lasting joy of God that nothing in this world can take away from us. It's the joy of the healed land and even our bodies. And so sit before the promise, ready to burst with anticipation, wear joy and gladness as your crown this coming week. And keep claiming that and owning it. It is yours in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your immense kindness to us in Jesus that you were so thoughtful to give us your word, these wonderful portraits and descriptions not only of humanity's fall and our fall, not only a picture of our exile from you and from each other, from health, even from the land itself. God, we thank you for that description, but we also are so grateful of the portrait of joy. We are so glad for the promise of return that this prefigured not only Israel coming back to their promised land, but it it foreshadowed our return to you and the renewal of all things in Christ. Well, Father, we thank you that the curse of humanity's rejection of you will ultimately be reversed because of Jesus' faithful living before you and on our behalf. Father, we thank you that it was before the joy that was set before him that our Savior went to the cross. We thank you that he is the superhighway for us into your presence, into your eternal happiness, that is not dependent on the happenings of our lives. And so God, as we come here to this meal of joy, I pray for each soul here. I I know that some are struggling with remembering Christmas's past and maybe what they had but lost or never really had. Or perhaps they're, they're anxious about an upcoming report or a situation at work, or perhaps a fear about the economy or health. Father, I pray for the anxious hearts that we would strengthen our knees, that we would walk along the way of Jesus, that we would wear the crown of joy and gladness that he obtained through a crown of thorns for us. Joy is our heritage, and I pray that it would reside deeply in our hearts today.
as we eat of this meal of grace. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.